0: Thanks for tuning in. I'm Shelby. And I'm Renee. Yeah, you had to be different. (laughs) And you're listening to The Creepy Burrito. Today, we are gonna be talking about one of the most famous disappearances still to this day, even 40 years later. (laughs) A man known for his tenacity building the Teamsters' labor union amidst a Great Depression, with connections to the mob, the Kennedys. And if you can recall, we did mention him, even on our Marilyn Monroe episode. We are talking about Jimmy Hoffa. What happened to him? What happened? Where's his body? Where did he come from? It's never been found. Where did he go? Where did he come from? (laughs) Jimmy (laughs) Hoffa. Jimmy Jimmy Hoffa Joe? (laughs) it's extra name, <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa <laughs> Joe. Jimmy Hoffa Joe, one extra name. So let's uh, just dive right the fuck in. So James Riddle Hoffa Joe. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> you're way too roused about this Joe um, thing. Um, I mean, turn it back. 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 So again, <laughs> James Riddle Hoffa was born in Brazil, Indiana. On February 14th of 1913, to John and Viola Hoffa. His father was a coal miner and died of lung disease when Hoffa was just seven years old. His mother would go around taking in laundry from the neighbors just to try to help support the family. But um, to try to get their lives set up a little bit better, um, in 1924, when he was just 11 years old, his family had moved to Detroit, where he would call home for the rest of his life. Detroit was one of the fastest growing cities at the time, but also one of the most violent. At this point in American history, gangs were starting to pop up everywhere across the U.S. So like in the area, you had your Italian gangs, which was the River Gang, East Side Gang, West Side Gang. There was also the Purple Jewish Gang, Polish Gang, the Lizard Gang. You know, you got your nerds, your jocks, the coolest people you'll ever meet. (laughs) No. Stop trying to make fetch happen. (laughs) It's never going to happen. never going to happen. But, by the time he was 14, he did quit school and start working full time to try to help support the family. This was during the time of the Great Depression when he was a teenager, where most of the city and country was out of work, where hundreds of people would line up to apply for just one open position. But as a teenager, he was lucky enough to get a job as a stock boy and warehouseman at Kroger. If you don't know what Kroger is, it's a grocery store. At the time, they had substandard wages, abusive supervisors, and pretty poor working conditions, and minimal job security. So, pretty great place to be. Oh, yeah. So, as the animosity grew, the workers tried to organize a union, which was the start of HAFA's union organizational work. Even though he was just a teenager at the time, he was about 19, he was a natural leader. He had courage and was approachable. He helped lead a strike of warehouse workers that led to better pay and work conditions. What they had done, it was all over a shipment of strawberries. Uh, They refused to unload until they received better pay wages. Wow. Which is actually, like, pretty fucking savvy because strawberries, they're not gonna stay for very long yeah that has a definite fucking time limit on it so in 1932 when he quit because he refused to work for an abusive foreman the teamsters quickly scooped him up to be an organizer for local 299 in detroit hoffa devoted over 50 years of his life to the international brotherhood of teamsters When Hoffo was 23, he actually met his wife, Josephine, when she was at a non-unionized laundry worker strike. Six months later, they were married on September 24th of 1936. They had two children together, Barbara and James. And little fun fact, his son followed in his father's footsteps and is currently the president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Hmm. Thanks for that fun fact, Shelby. You're welcome. <laughs> but uh his family they had bought a little modest home in Detroit together, so I thought that was cute. Mm-hmm. Like they met at a little strike. I was like, oh, it's a cute little love story. I'm cool. Oh, meet coot. Hoffa quickly became a key player in making the Teamsters one of the most powerful unions in the United States. Starting in the midway midwest <laughs> Why? Make some a blowout. <laughs> you make some a blowout? So he started in the Midwest to strengthen their cause. Hoffa worked with other union leaders to consolidate local union truck and warehousemen groups into regional sections. Then over the course of two decades had become nationwide. By 1936, the Teamsters grew into 170,000 members, and 3 years later, a strong entity of 420,000 members. Wow. And then they did reach a million in 1951 after the post-war boom following World War II. Now, you might be wondering, how did a young, healthy man in his 20s not get drafted in World War II? He was actually able to get a deferment from the service by making his case that he was essential as a leader for the Union and would be more valuable to keep like the freight trucks running mm. to assist in war efforts. But this growth of the Teamsters wasn't just due to their skillful tactics of using strikes and boycotting alone. Trucking unions at the time were commonly connected with the mafia, working with gangsters on a regular basis, which was well known at the time. The connection between the mob and the corruption within the Teamsters started back during the Prohibition era. Rum runners needed the trucks to move alcohol, and the Teamsters were behind the wheel, so to speak. After the Prohibition ended, that relationship was still relevant and grew into something more. And after World War II, the Teamsters played a part in moving heroin throughout the U.S. Hoffa himself had his own personal connections through an ex-girlfriend, Sylvia Pagano. She had got him in contact with figures like Frankie Three Fingers Coppola and Santo Perón and many other mafia ties because she used to date a lot of them mafia men she was one of those uh ladies <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah hoffa knew how to leverage the mob to intimidate these corporations that he was up against working with the union the limits he would go to make the teamsters successful and to win against these corporations he knew no bounds I mean, they say the highway to hell is paved with good intentions, and I feel that rings true with Hoffa's case because I think in the beginning he truly was a man of the people, but the lines became blurred, using corruption to fight for the workers' rights. As the Teamsters grew, so did the Mafia's influence on their operations. The Mafia and these shitty corporations wasn't the only thing he was up against, but also had to defend the Teamsters from raids by other unions, including the Congress of Industrial Organizations. Hoffa was loved by the people. At the time, he was a public figure that was looked up to, that he was fighting for the rights as workers. Hoffa was loved by many, but as we go on, you'll see that he also was hated by many more. By December of 1946, he had become president of Local 299, and shortly after expanding to surrounding Detroit and Michigan groups, even within the Teamsters, he was a man of strategy. The Teamsters were on the verge of an internal revolt against the president of the Teamsters at the time. His name was Daniel Tobin. And Daniel Tobin was fucking president already for like 45 years. Wow. Like, that's a little bit... You, you're reaching the age like where you're overstaying a little bit, buddy. 45 f- fucking years? Plus you figure how old he was. Uh, when, when he mean... became president? Yeah. Right. Old! Old, yeah, old, you're old. <laughs> but we don't believe in age discrimination here. No. But also, yeah, old, <laughs> yeah, old, and you overstayed your welcome a little bit. But anyways, Hoffa <laughs> was able to get the central states to support candidate David Beck at the upcoming IBT convention. So when Dave Beck became the new president of the Teamsters, he had returned the favor by making Hoffa vice president at the 1952 IBT convention in Los Angeles. Since they were becoming such a large entity, the Teamsters headquarters moved from Indianapolis to a large office building in Washington, DC. They had also hired on a bunch of lawyers to assist with contract negotiations. One of the most notorious was his personal lawyer, Bill Buffalino. By 1957, Hoffa took over the presidency of the Teamsters whilst David Beck, the previous president, had to appear before the, I don't know if you're ready for this title, are you ready? I I don't think I'm ready for this jelly. Uh, You're not ready for this jelly. It is the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Improper Activities and Labor or Management Field. Or also known as the McClellan Committee for short. Wow. Isn't that a bit fucking long? That's a long name. Yeah. So if that long ass title didn't already explain it, their purpose was to review the extent of criminal or improper practices like bribery, coercion, fraud, conspiracy, and the field of labor management relations. So basically all these union groups going rogue. And then review it, suggest changes in laws that would provide protection against such activities in the future. So, this is where in steps RFK. Mm. Robert fucking Kennedy. <laughs> mm, this douchebag. Or Bobby Kennedy, whichever name you prefer. He was hired on as chief counsel and investigator by Senator John McClelland, who was the chair of the committee because they were both pro management over labor unions so they favored on the corporation side which isn't surprising to hear since Bobby Kennedy was an aristocrat that has always been living the picture-perfect American dream and would have no understanding of management misbehavior with low wages or being fired for any reason while you have a whole entire family to support. Bobby having this whole bias that the Union was what was wrong with the country and these big company owners were merely victims, he wanted nothing more than take the Teamsters down. Bobby Kennedy was described as hot-headed, inexperienced interrogator, and was a bumbling, fumbling mess when it came to questioning, and would frequently get into heated arguments with the witnesses rather than laying out any sort of legal case against them. And throughout these trials, there were 253 active investigations, served 8,000 subpoenas for witnesses and documents, 270 consecutive days of hearings, testimony of 1,526 witnesses. Wow. (laughs) 343 of those witnesses had invoked their Fifth Amendment, which is your right against forced self-incrimination by invoking their Fifth Amendment rights, but Hoffa was a fucking boss at flipping questions back around on Bobby and for his lack of bringing forth any real evidence against Hoffa personally. So here's just a little taste of what happened in the courtroom.
1: Did you receive any of the fee that he obtained, the $40,000 that he got in that case, directly or indirectly?
0: Absolutely
2: not,
1: you you know it. it. You had been you had been in business uh, with Mr. Matheson, had you not? With my own money. Yeah, but you had been in business. With my own money, yes. Uh, do you have any evidence of the twenty thousand dollars in cash that you put into the business? I don't a- need
2: any evidence. I'm You'll just... take my word for it, as the Internal Revenue has. Could
1: you describe a little of it, uh, Mr. Hopkins? No,
2: sir, I cannot, and Can I don't care to. What... I don't care to try and recall back my entire lifetime since I started working at the age 17 as to how I accumulated money or how I spent it to finally arrive at having $20,000 I could afford to invest and could, finally lost.
1: Could you answer, was it in cash that you put it yes. in? Yes. Do you have any record of it? No. Would you tell us where you got the cash?
2: I accumulated it.
1: From your uh, salary?
2: From whatever investments I had or salary or income, did but any was of, accumulated. Did any
1: of this come out of the winnings that... Uh, Mr. It's Brennan very made it at the racetrack?
2: Very easily it could have. Could
1: I ask you whether Mr. Brennan is still winning at the track?
2: I believe he is. I hope we have luck this year. We haven't finished yet. How much have you turned over to him to gamble? So far this year, nothing. You can't be too busy. How much has he uh, won for you?
1: <laughs> How much has he won for you? None this, this moment, year?
2: None I haven't this year? In, I haven't been in the question of, ga- of the trying to gain, make any money on horse racing this year yet. Been too busy.
1: But in other words, as I understood it, he had won $64,000 in cash.
2: Well, that's not hard to believe. That's in fift- up till '57. <coughs> go out to-, to the track.
1: Now, what about since '57? How much has he won in cash for you since then? I don't
2: know. I don't have the records. You've been to
1: the track with him?
2: Oh, I go maybe once a year, once every three years. But
1: he usually goes. That's right. You give him the money.
2: That's right. And he bets I where did. he wants I did. I haven't this year.
1: I see. Well, now you couldn't. You, this. I don't po- believe
2: I did last year, by the way, either. It was pretty busy here too. No, that's right. And it's possible that this twenty thousand
1: dollars might have come out of the money that Bert Brennan won for you at the race Conceivably. Driving. But you couldn't tell us any other source?
2: I have no rec- I have no basic figures of income per day, per week, or where it came from. I file my Internal Revenue Report. I'm sure they check it. Could you ask and it? So Could you far tell as I us? I know they haven't contended it.
1: Could you tell us, what? Uh, would you feel that it was in, uh, an unreasonable question if we asked you how much cash you have now? I wouldn't answer it. You wouldn't care to answer no. it? No. You wouldn't care to tell us the sources of it either, no. would you? I've never been completely convinced, Mr. Hoffa. to be frank with you, that uh, Mr. Brennan did win this money at the racetrack.
2: Why don't you ask him?
1: I did, and he took the Fifth Amendment.
2: Well, maybe he has a reason to them, Mr. I Kennedy.
1: I think he might have a reason, but you suggested we ask Mr. Brennan. Mr. Brennan then took the Fifth Amendment when he was asked the question. And I've never considered either that that was a satisfactory explanation of the cash that you had or that these numerous, several people such as business agents who themselves had to borrow money in order to survive, that they loaned you $2,000 in cash without any note and without interest.
2: Thank you for reviewing the testimony. Does it suggest anything to you, Mr. Hoffer? It doesn't suggest anything except the fact that you're trying again, as you have many times in this hearing, to bring a headline about or to embarrass Hoffa. That's all.
1: No, I'm attempting to give you my reaction as these hearings come to a close as to where this cash might have come from. Then you ought to read the records. I want to make it clear for the record that I cannot accept accept the explanation that this was won in this casual way at the racetrack by Mr. Brennan in view of the fact that Mr. Brennan takes the Fifth Amendment when he is asked how he won the money. Then you disprove it. It's extremely difficult because you do deal
2: in cash. And I'm going to continue.
1: And you're going to what? I didn't hear the
2: end. I'm going to continue, sir.
1: Well, I think that's an interesting uh, way to uh, conduct uh, your affairs as a head of a, a large union.
2: I think it's an American way.
1: to deal dealing cash?
2: Any way you have as long as it's money that is subject to being able to put into trade and is paid income tax on as gainfully earned.
1: How much cash do you have now, Mr. Hoffman? I don't know. You haven't got any idea how much cash you have?
2: This is not the internal revenue. I refuse to give them a net worth statement. And I do not believe I'm required to give it here. Do
1: you have $10,000 in cash? I don't know. $100,000? Senator.
0: I just fucking love how Hoffa like, shuts that down. Like, reach out to the IRS, or I already talked to the IRS. Yeah. It's my money, my business. He was able to keep his cool, but still push Bobby's buttons. The more frustrated he got, he would just dig a deeper hole with a slew of incessant questioning that were structured to implicate Hoffa, but made him look like an ass. Yep. Bobby would just get so caught up to the point where he would just start insulting witnesses on the stand (laughs) and shouting and making a complete ass out of himself. It got to the point where (laughs) Bobby's daddy, Joseph Kennedy, came to town to see for himself if Bobby was endangering JFK's political future. Hoffa never did deny having connections with the mafia, but claimed that these were the kinds of people he had to work with but dismissed any allegations of corruption. But meanwhile, to pay back the mafia for helping him get the Teamsters presidency, he used the Teamsters pension fund to finance loans that was used to build some of these big attractions that are on the Las Vegas Strip, such as the Tropicana, Circus Circus, the Aladdin, Caesar's Palace, the Hacienda, Stardust, the Fremont, all funded with Mm. Teamster. Pension money. And if you're interested in the whole like Vegas side of things, the Martin Scorsese movie Casino gives a, uh, it's dramatized. I mean, every movie you watch is dramatized, but it's the story of Alan Dorfman that played an essential role in making these uh, mafia-ran casinos until he himself got gunned down in Chicago in the early 80s, but figured it was worth mentioning. Back to these trials. So Bobby wanted to convict nearly all of their ongoing investigations, but couldn't because there were so many flaws in these cases. Bobby Kennedy tried to deteriorate Hoffa's image publicly, saying he was corrupt and working with mobsters, making Hoffa a villain in the eyes of these big corporations, but in the eyes of union members, he was a fucking hero. Just doing what was needed to get done in their fight for better rights as workers. When JFK was elected president in 1960, he had made Bobby Kennedy attorney general. As attorney general, Bobby Kennedy's first order of business was to bring down organized crime and a Get Hoffa squad of prosecutors and investigators. Hoffa was constantly under investigation, trials, appeals of convictions, or imprisoned virtually all of the 1960s. and. As you might remember from our Marilyn Monroe episode, there was a theory that the mafia hitman murdered the legendary Hollywood star in 1962 by giving her an enema with deadly drugs. FBI records from the time reveal a conversation between Hoffa and one of his associates, during which he had said, somebody has to bump that son of a bitch off. You know, he drives about in a convertible and swims by himself, it would be easy to get him with that but I'm leery of it. It's too obvious. Talking about Bobby Kennedy. Right. Being a little bitch boy. Instead, Hoffa and Giacana decided to discredit Kennedy through his relationship with Monroe. They enlisted the help of a wiretapper to bug the star's telephone and her bedroom. However, they became aware that Kennedy would never admit to the relationship, and it's claimed that they decided to murder Monroe instead. In the late 1950s, Hoffa got looped into America's secret politics. We did mention this in the Marilyn Monroe episode as well. So when Fidel Castro seized power in Cuba, Dwight Eisenhower ordered the CIA to kill him. Which was a little bit harder of a mission than you would think because they didn't want it to link back to the U.S. government. The CIA reached out to the mafia to take out Castro for them. Mob bosses like Santo Traficante, Carlos Marcelo, and Meyer Lansky had lost millions upon millions of dollars whenever Castro had seized power. And these mob bosses, they were the ones that had the connections to the Cuban exile community that could help the CIA get poison in or an assassin to be able to assassinate Castro. Hoffa was the original liaison between the CIA and the mafia for these assassination plots. Whenever the CIA mob plans to kill Castro had failed, tensions had escalated, leading to the murder of President John F. Kennedy in Dallas in 1963. Thank you. You're welcome. The Kennedys had a real love-hate relationship going on with the mafia. The FBI recorded a wiretap between Chicago mobsters Sam Giacana and Johnny Roselli that their donation to JFK's campaign had been accepted, but at the same time, Bobby Kennedy was still hell-bent on prosecuting organized crime figures. Hoffa wasn't the only one that was on Bobby Kennedy's hit list. New Orleans mob boss Carlos Marcello had his own beef with Bobby Kennedy, and was suspected to have conspired with Hoffa and other big players to manipulate Lee Harvey Oswald into killing JFK because they couldn't take out Bobby Kennedy directly because everyone would know that it was the mafia that had did it and would add way too much heat onto them. So they cut the beast off at the head and take out the president. Literally. Literally. The head. (laughs) The head. Yikes. Then had mafia associate Jack Ruby kill Oswald, before he had let out the truth. Jimmy Hoffa, Carlos Marcello, and Santo Traficante all just so happened to share the same lawyer, Frank Regano. Years later, he was trying to sell a book and claimed that Hoffa had him deliver a contract to kill JFK to Marcello and Traficante. But I mean, if you ask me, the bro is just trying to sell this fucking book. Yeah. But I mean, to each their own. I'm not here to shut down anyone's beliefs on anything. But the entire entity of the JFK assassination is a completely different rabbit hole for a different day. Hint, hint, wink, wink. In May of 1963, Hoffa was indicted for jury tampering in Tennessee, charged with the attempted bribery of a grand juror during his 1962 conspiracy trial in Nashville, and he was convicted in March the following year and sentenced 8 years in prison and a $10,000 fine. While he was on bail during his appeal, he was convicted on a second trial in Chicago for one account of conspiracy and three counts of mail and wire fraud for using the Teamsters Pension Fund and sentenced five years in prison. Hoffa had spent three years trying to appeal the charges against him, but ultimately lost. So on March 7th of 1967, he began his 13-year prison sentence. That's eight years for bribery, five years for fraud, at the Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary in Pennsylvania. Not even five years into his prison sentence, Hoffa was released on December 23rd of 1925, when the US President Richard Nixon had pardoned him and commuted his sentence. The Nixon tapes leave no doubt that Hoffa's release was due to the Teamsters' endorsement during Nixon's presidential reelection in 1972. Even though Hoffa was a free man, There was just one little caveat, Hoffa was not allowed to, in quotations, engage in the direct or indirect management of any labor organization until March 6th of 1980. Hoffa was pissed because this was his life's work, his baby, and he saw that it was his and he made it that way. He stated that he never agreed to this whole entire condition that was being put on him. He tried to fight it in court so he could return to his presidency of the Teamsters, but that was denied. The court ruled that Nixon had acted within his powers by imposing this restriction, as it was based on Hoffa's previous misconduct while he was the Teamsters official. Hoffa was still trying to find his way back into power, unable to return to the level that he was previously, and lost supporters across the US regions and had to return to his roots back at local 299 Detroit region. His intent was to regain the leadership of the Union, but that did not sit well with the Mafia. Especially Anthony Provenzano. He was a capo regime in the Genovese crime family, but was also a previous friend of Hoffa, and even served as vice president of the Teamsters during Hoffa's second term as president, but they had become enemies after an argument they had when they were both locked up together, so he wasn't pleased when Hoffa approached him in hopes to gain support to regain his position in the Teamsters. Anthony reportedly said he would pull out his guts and kidnap his grandchildren. Anthony had a pretty sketch record, at least two known Union opponents had been murdered, and anyone that spoke shit got hit. Hoffa had become involved with Detroit kingpin Anthony Giacalone and his brother Vito. Supposedly, the Giacalone brothers had a few meetings with Hoffa as mediators to set up a peace meeting between Provisano and Hoffa, With each visit from the brothers had made Hoffa's son James concerned. He had even stated, Dad was pushing so hard to get back in the office. I was increasingly afraid that the mob would do something about it. James was convinced that the peace meeting was just a setup for a hit. The so-called peace meeting with Anthony Provisano and Anthony Giacalone was supposed to take place on July 30th, 1975 at 2 p.m. at the Marcus Red Fox restaurant in Bloomfield Township. Hoffa left his house in his green at Granville at about 1.15 p.m. Before going to the restaurant, he had made a pit stop to see his friend Louis Lintow, a former president of the Teamsters Local 614, who now ran a limousine service. After Hoffa was released from prison, Lewis had become Hoffa's unofficial appointment secretary, confidant. Lewis was out on lunch, so Hoffa talked with some of the staff and left a message for him for whenever he got back, letting him know that he was going out to this meeting. At around 2.15 to 2.30 PM, Hoffa called his wife from a payphone that was right behind the restaurant. He called to complain that they didn't show and he had been stood up. His wife said that she had not heard from anyone, no one called in saying that they weren't going to be there or be late. He told her that he would be home around four to grill some steaks for dinner. There were multiple witnesses that had saw Hoffa pacing by his car in the restaurant's parking lot. Two of the witnesses knew him and stopped to talk to him briefly, and then Hoffa had made a call to Lewis to tell him that they were a no-show for this peace meeting. Lewis stated that this call was around 3.30 p.m., but FBI suspected that it was earlier, based on the timing of other calls that were coming into the office around that time. The FBI estimates that Hoffa left the location without a struggle around 2.45 to 2.50 p.m. One of the witnesses reported seeing Hoffa get into the back of a maroon Lincoln or Mercury car with three other people. The next morning, at 7 a.m., his wife called the kids to say that their father had not come home and to see if they had heard from him. At around 7.20, Louis Lintel went to the Moccas Red Fox and found Hoffa's unlocked car in the parking lot with no sign of Hoffa or what could have happened to him. Louis called the police who came to the scene. The Michigan State Police were brought in and the FBI were alerted. At 6 at night, Hoffa's son James filed a missing person report. The Hoffa family offered a $200,000 reward for any information about the disappearance. Three weeks since his disappearance, there was a lead when the police dogs came across Hoffa's scent in the backseat of a Mercury Marquis. And the owner just so happened to be none other than Joey Giacalone, the son of Anthony Giacalone. The car was borrowed earlier that day by Charles or Chucky O'Brien to deliver fish. Chucky was Hoffa's protege or like foster son. His mother was actually Sylvia Pagano. That was Hoffa's ex girlfriend Mm -hmm. that we had mentioned at the beginning. That was the source of his mafia connections in the earlier years. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. The family and investigators suspected that Chucky might have been involved in Hoffa's disappearance. Since their relationship had become strained over the last few years, Chucky denied that he had any involvement in the case, and many don't believe that he would have been the lead for such a high-profile hit on the Mo- like for the Mafia. He wasn't necessarily the brightest crayon in the box, based off of their descriptions of him. Hmm. In 2001, new DNA technology revealed that the hair found in the car was a match for Hoffa, but was not enough evidence to charge anyone. As for Giacalone and Provisano, they denied ever even scheduling a meeting with Hoffa or being near the restaurant during the time of his disappearance. Provazano told investigators that he was playing cards with Steven Indrena in New Jersey that day. Yeah, 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 we right. just playing cards, see, yeah. As for Tony Giacalone, spent the entire day at Southfield Athletic Club, And Tony, he was described to be, like, a guy that never talks to anybody. But that specific day goes around talking to everybody, people that he doesn't even know, rubbing elbows, shaking hands, and asking them specifically, multiple people, at least 50 witnesses, specifically what time it was that day. Wow. Sounds like you're building an alibi there, buddy. Sounds like you can't just remember the time after someone tells you what the time is, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, what time did you see him? Oh, I saw him exactly at 12.12 because he asked me what time it was. I thought it was really weird because he asked me what time it was right after I got done talking to some <laughs> other dude who he asked what the time it was too. And then he asked another dude after me what time it was. I just thought he was brain dead. <laughs> According to FBI, Jack Toko, the acting boss of the Detroit family at the time, went to visit Tony at the club that day to meet that afternoon. It wasn't common for these two mobsters to even be seen together, so that sent a signal to the FBI that something big was happening that day. Although the FBI had kept close watch on the Mafia, and with extensive surveillance and bugging, the suspects that they thought were involved were unwilling to talk about Hoffa's disappearance, even in private, whenever they reviewed, like, all the different surveillance and wiretappings that they had. Even though his body has never been found and- is one of the most high profile disappearance cases still unsolved to this day. Hoffa was declared legally dead in 1982. Over the years, there are endless theories about what had happened to Jimmy Hoffa and how he might've died, who might've done it. Jimmy Hoffa was a common deathbed confession amongst many mafia men. So let's just take a gander at some of these rabbit holes and theories of what happened to Hoffa. Where is he? So, number one, the feds. One of Hoffa's former associates, Joe Franco, claims that Hoffa was abducted by two federal agents, showed their IDs, and that Hoffa willingly got into the back of their black Ford LTD, which drove off in the direction of a small nearby airport, then allegedly took him into a plane, shoved Hoffa out of the plane and to plummet to his demise over the Great Lakes. Joe Franco came out with this theory in his book entitled Hoffa's Man. Franco claims that there was a legitimate reason why he kept the story to himself. He was trying to use it as leverage in negotiating an immunity deal from uh, federal prosecutors. Shockingly, they did not believe his story. <laughs> Another feds theory that's a little bit out there, like pretty fucking bananas. According to cold case detective John Cameron, he believes that he connected serial killer Edward Wayne Edwards to Hoffa's disappearance. Edward had spent time in prison, the same time that Hoffa was incarcerated, and he would write about the exchanges that they had. Ed was consistently in and out of prison, he would break out or have his sentence reduced, and there was even crimes he just got off without any time for. There was evidence that he was an informant for the FBI. Letters found that Ed had wrote to the FBI saying, as you know, I have cooperated in the past, Uh, different things along those lines. So the gist of this theory is that it was an inside job by the feds. They used Edwards, who was familiar with Hoffa from prison, as a way to set up Hoffa and get him in the right location at the right time for the FBI to pick up Hoffa and then take him out. Or there's spinoffs theories where Edward took him out himself. My opinion, this is a complete bullshit theory and here's why. Edward Wayne Edwards was, in fact, a serial killer convicted of killing five victims. Okay, checks out. Understandable. Like, some unsolved cases may be connected to a serial killer. I, I can understand that factor. But this cold case detective tries to connect Edward Wayne Edwards to an outlandish amount of high-profile cases, including Teresa Hallback, Bonnet Ramsey, the three little boys of the West Memphis Three case, the Black Dahlia, ah. and Lacey Peterson. Boy, does he get around. And he also believes that Edwards is the Zodiac killer. I wonder if uh, Edwards got frequent flyer miles. Well, also, there's so many loopholes with that because the the Dahlia, uh, Edward Wayne Edwards, he would have been like 12 at the time mm, yeah, whenever makes, that murder happened. And then what Teresa Hallback that's pretty recent he would have been like in his 70s mid to late 70s whenever that happened like it, it just doesn't make sense granted he was nomadic and like moved around a lot because I mean if you're a serial killer or involved in a lot of crime it's harder to catch a moving target but also that doesn't make sense and then with Lacey Peterson or Uh, Teresa Hallback those cases they were pretty much like frame jobs yeah is the biggest thing um if you don't believe that it's the spouse or if you don't believe that Avery's had done it then they were framed and you would have to know the place the people to be able to do that or have access to these locations so I just feel like it's bullshit if you are behind this theory fucking go for it Mm. but that's stupid now moving on to the next theory What's another way to get rid of a body? Fucking gators. So, in 1985, there were more stories and rumors still circulating on Hoffa's disappearance, one of them being from Charlie Allen, a former mob hitman, and once was a bodyguard for Hoffa, and he was also under the witness protection for nearly a decade. He claimed that Hoffa was abducted, shot with a stun gun, then murdered on the orders from an unnamed crime boss whom Hoffa had allegedly tried to have killed. Things got messed up, and he got Jimmy first. And his theory also involved Hoffa's body was ground up, placed into a steel drum, and then shipped to Alligator and fesse waters of the Florida Everglades, where his remains were subsequently dumped and presumably eaten by local fauna. Now, getting a little bit more believable we're gonna start going through these mafia Mm -hmm. hitmen Mm -hmm. richard kulinski aka the ice man was a notorious hitman and confessed to killing hoffa and around a hundred others in a series of interviews with arthur philip carlo for his book the ice man the confessions of a mafia contract killer the ice man stated that he had picked up hoffa at a restaurant in detroit stabbed him in the head with a hunting knife Threw the body in his trunk and drove off to New Jersey. The body was put into a 50 gallon drum and set on fire for a half an hour or so, and then welded shut, buried in a junkyard. One of the Iceman's accomplices had loose lips talking to the FBI. Afraid that they would use this information to get out of trouble, the Iceman decided to destroy the evidence. He then dug up the body and the whole fucking 50-gallon barrel back up, mm. put it in the trunk of a car, which is, I don't I don't know how that would fit. But anyways, so picked up the barrel, dug it back up, put it in the trunk of the car that was then compacted and shipped to Japan as scrap metal. And his quote was, he's part of a car somewhere in Japan right now, and this was all for the price of a $40,000 payoff. To kill Hoffa. A former FBI agent discredited the Iceman's admission to killing Hoffa as a hoax, stated that Richard Kolinsky was never a suspect and he had never even heard of him. Mafia writers and journalists also discredited his tales of killing Hoffa as demented ramblings. I believe them. Yeah, I back that up. Moving on to another suspect. Marvin the Weasel Alkind. He was a Teamster and a driver for Hoffa and associate of Giacalone. The Weasel had talked about being with Anthony Giacalone's posse at a Teamsters conference that was in Detroit's Omni International Hotel, which was connected to the Renaissance Center by a glass-covered walkway. He and his small posse of friends walked across the bridge, and when Anthony had passed the middle facing the Renaissance Center, he had nodded toward the tower's foundation and said, Say good morning to Jimmy Hoffa, boys. The weasel claimed, After Hoffa was snatched and killed, union carpenters were called in to rush construction of wooden forms needed for pouring concrete at the Renaissance project. When the forms were in place, tons of concrete flowed into them, and at some point, someone slipped Hoffa's body into the wet cement, where it was encased beneath in what is now Detroit's most visible landmark. Whether Anthony Giacalone had done it himself or put the order out for the hit, he didn't really say, but it's just an indicator that Anthony knew what had happened to Hoffa. That wasn't the only theory of him being buried at a landmark. Another famous one that you may have heard of, one of the most wild and popular theories is that Hoffa is buried in the Giants Stadium, somewhere under the West End Zone. This rumor started to spread around 1989 article that was posted in a Playboy magazine. Interview with hitman Donnie Francos, also known as Tony the Greek. Initially, the FBI took the allegation seriously, and Tony was in witness protection as a testimony against another New York crime boss at the time, uh, John Gotti. Tony the Greek claimed that Hoffa was lured by Chucky O'Brien to a house owned by Detroit mobster Anthony Giacalone then shot by New York mob boss Jimmy Coonan. His body was dismembered using a power saw, a meat cleaver, then bagged up the body parts and put into a freezer for months. Later was sealed in an oil drum and moved to New Jersey to bury under the giant stadium. According to retired FBI agent Jim Kosler, when that information came to our attention, we batted it around, But we were all convinced in the end that this guy was not reliable, he said. The FBI was able to discredit this theory because he was incarcerated at the time. Tony the Greek claimed that he had participated in a number of mob hits while he was in prison by using phony furloughs from corrupt prison officials. I still feel like that's kind of bullshit. I feel like he just wanted to get his name out there. Yep. Also, there's zero evidence to support this claim that his body is buried at the giant stadium. The hunt for Hoffa even made it to an episode of Mythbusters, where they scanned with a ground penetrating radar that was supposed to reveal if any disturbances indicated a human body was buried there, no trace of human remains were found. Then finally when the giant stadium was demolished in 2010, still no trace of Hoffa. to a more recent theory. In two thousand and four, the book *I Heard You Paint Houses*, Frank the Irishman, Sheeran, and the closing of the case on Jimmy Hoffa came out and opened yet another door. And another fun fact, because I just fucking love fun facts. Mm -hmm. The phrase *I Heard You Paint Houses* is an alleged mob phrase used to see if someone will kill somebody. Do you get it? Like paint houses, like you shoot them, and and the blood it spatters. spatters. I thought that was cute. That's a fun fact. Because uh, he didn't paint houses, guys. I don't, I don't know if there's painters out there that are excited to hear about books of painting houses, but that's not what this is. No. The book was written by lawyer Charles Brandt. It presented an intriguing perspective on the events that occurred involving recently deceased mafia and Hoffa associate named Frank the Irishman Sheeran. According to Frank Sheeran, Hoffa had made people nervous by threatening to expose the Teamsters' dealings with the mob that had happened while Hoffa was in prison, and that he was ordered to kill Hoffa by mob boss Russell Buffalino. Frank headed to the Marcus Red Fox with Chucky O'Brien and Sal Bergoglio to tell Hoffa that the meeting spot had been moved. They picked him up, drove him to an empty house, as Chucky and Sal drove off. Frank and Hoffa enter into the home and immediately shot Hoffa twice in the back of the head. Frank claimed that this was as a mercy, that it was quick since they were longtime friends, and he felt that he should have been the one that did it, because he just slowly saw that Hoffa was declining and that he had a hit out for him. And then following the murder, he claimed that he was wrapped up and cremated. After this confession, the detectives went to the home where this all allegedly happened. There were bloodstains found, but the DNA results were not a match for Hoffa. Like every other theory out there, there are multiple articles stating that this is all bullshit. Uh, There's the lies of the Irishman and Jimmy Hoffa and the Irishman, a true crime story. I would recommend at least watching the Irishman. It's available on Netflix. Whether it's true or not, you believe it or you don't i kind of don't because he waited until he was dying to come out with it and it was like a famous thing that all mafia men or anyone dealing with fucking hoffa always said that they killed hoffa or knew about it whatever mm-hmm. what have you Yep. but um the irishman that's on netflix it's pretty good It had robert de niro playing the part of frank and um al pacino's hoffa yep. it's a pretty good watch 10 out of 10 would recommend In 1989, an agent in charge of the FBI's Detroit office, Kenneth Walton, had made a statement to the Detroit News that I'm comfortable I know who did it, but it's never going to be prosecuted because we would have to divulge informants and confidential sources. In 2006, the Detroit Free Press published the entire Hoffax memo, a 56-page report prepared by the FBI for a 1976 briefing on the case. Although not claiming conclusively to the specifics of his disappearance, the memo records a belief that Hoffa was murdered by organized crime figures who regarded his efforts to regain the power of the Teamsters as a threat to their control of the union's pension fund, which at the time was worth about a billion dollars. Unadjusted for inflation, so it's a pretty big, uh, pretty big stake, yeah, especially uh, for the mafia. I say that's the men that always follow lot. the money. It's not it, the mafia, they uh worked a lot with the union, not because they were like trying to support these like labor unions, like they were trying to follow the money, they were trying to get that coin. And lastly, this isn't a theory, but this is his son's take on it Hoffa's son, James P. Hoffa was elected of the Teamsters in 1999. Agreed that the mafia was involved and even ran his campaigns on the back of that conviction, and he stated, "The mob killed my father. If you vote for me, they'll never come back." He told a crowd of truck drivers in 1996, and then is still currently to this day the president of the Teamsters. Oh. But even if most people agree that the mob was responsible, the remains are a continued fascination. Where is Hoffer? What exactly had happened even to this day? And I didn't even go into the whole theory of people thinking that he's alive because I don't believe in that. I'm just not talking about it. If you have that, um, I'm gonna call bullshit on your bluff. Come at me. And you know where you can come at me at? You can send us a freaking email at thecreepyburrito at gmail.com. Jumping right into that, huh? What's your thoughts? Jimmy Hoffa is way too big of a personality to just, just be disappear. Off it never just goes away. Yeah, it never just goes away. No, he spent his life fighting for this. He's been way too outspoken to just disappear like that. Oh, yeah, definitely dead. Yeah, definitely. It was definitely Mafia did it. Definitely dead. Definitely Mafia.
2: Definitely.
0: Mm, definitely jackaloni had something to do with it. Definitely. Jacquelone especially like all of the mafia like had to have known about the, the hit going on. They because they all whenever like, you whenever you put in a hit, like you have to get permission from the families that are in that area. So right. like people knew about it. It was coming. Um yeah, but you know who didn't know about it? Who didn't? Hoffa. Oh no, I think he he must have had like some sort of. I inkling. think he had an inkling that something uh, was. Uh, I not think he, good. He was, he was just determined. Like he just wanted to get back into uh, his position of presidency. Yeah, but you figure that um, he's expendable. Mm, sure was. Mafia didn't need him, and they were able to toss around the next president. Yeah. Pretty easily, even better. Yeah, they didn't even have to ask for anything. They just did they whatever they wanted. They just did whatever wanted. they wanted. Yeah, so he did. He did. Renee, you know what isn't disappearing anytime soon? Uh, could it be our Facebook, our Insta, or maybe our Twitter at the creepy burrito? <laughs> I think so. I think we're here for a while. We're here for it. So tell us your thoughts. Where in the world is Hoffa? Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> is he dead? Who dunce it? Where did they dunt it? Was it the mafia? Was it me? Was it you? Not me. And if you want more people to hear about the Buridi family, then spread the word. Or you can also write us a sweet-ass review on iTunes or Facebook... And read us on your streaming device. Get the word out. Get the people talking. Give the people what they want. We want burritos and we want them now. <laughs> if you podcast, they will come. So, until next week, come back. Get lost in that sauce with us. Uh, bye bye. 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 Bye bye. I'm going to disappear now. When Hoffa was just twenty three year old, twenty three year old, twenty (laughs) three year (laughs) old, he he was only twenty three year old when he met his wife, (laughs) and then they were in love. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe. Until he hoped left after he except for the time he didn't make steaks on the grill <laughs> and he just appeared forever. And then he went bye bye and did me one bye. yikes.